We open our Bibles to Revelation, uh, and uh, last week, if you were not here, we covered the entire first chapter. We did not record it, so it is lost to, uh, to uh, history. Um, if you took really, really good notes, somebody in here might would welcome those notes. Um, I don't know, but if you did take really good notes, you want to let me know, I'll copy them and make them available to anyone. Um, my notes are mostly running through my head, so uh, I... I couldn't even probably repeat half that from last week. So um, I, I appreciate it if you did that. Um, but let's uh, open up in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your uh, glorious uh, truth that we find in Scripture. We thank you that your Scripture is truth, even when it tells us of things that are not from you for us, that still records accurately what is true, what happened. And so, Lord, we, we trust the Bible, we trust the story of the Bible, um, but we, we recognize that we need the person, the Holy Spirit, to help us understand. Uh, he is our great teacher. We thank you for that Holy Spirit. You, you show us in the Scripture how it talks about Christ and about uh, our responsibilities to Him. So we thank you, uh, Father, for loving us and uh, for sending Jesus to die for us that we can know you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Spirit to guide us, to teach us about you, so that we can uh, follow you closely. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I do just want to sum up chapter 1. Come on in, y'all. And there's a list of questions. Um, we may go through those questions one by one. We, we may do a lot. Um, I've got some other notes written here. So, um, But it, in general, uh, the book of Revelation is written to the churches. Uh, especially of that day and time, but also we would assume that it, it's a letter to all churches of all time. So in each church that we see here, um, it, there are things that we may or may not be able to apply to our present. Um, not every church will have the same problems. Not every church will have the same strengths. Um, but there is always an encouragement. There's, all, uh, not always, there's not always encouragement. There's always a correction. Uh, there's a, one that has no, nothing good said about it. There's one that has no correction needed. Um, but in all of them, uh, it should tell us a little bit something um, that we could apply to our own life, to our own uh, church where we, where we are now. And uh, so in the balance of the book, we see in the next two chapters, chapter 2 and 3, those seven messages to those seven churches. They're very short messages. And then uh, we go into uh, a, a prophetic time where the, what is going to happen at the end is explained to us. And so we see that. The culmination of all, uh, and I can't even say what I was about to say, but the culmination of where we are now uh, is that Jesus returns for his bride. We, we know that. Um, Acts 1.11 tells us that. The angel said to the guys on the mountain, uh, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who went away will come again in like manner. And uh, so you go get busy, basically, is what the message is. So uh, Revelation lays out uh, events of that time just before uh, Jesus comes back uh, for, uh, for the end. What happens after that, the Bible just says, and then he's there for a thousand years. Satan is bound for a thousand years. End of a thousand years, he lets him out for a minute. He starts a whole new rebellion. God knocks it down and then, boom, he blows up all of creation and makes a new one. And we don't know what happens after that because then we're there and he doesn't need to tell us 
we'll get to experience it. So, so that's kind of just the very end of Revelation. And Revelation just opens up a lot of doors. But these churches, again, the emphasis there in chapters 2 and 3 is on the church looking out for where it may have gone astray or taking a side step or some encouragement to keep doing well. Um, and there's always a challenge and a promise at the end of each message. So the first church we look at is the church of Ephesus. And I wrote out a bunch of questions, um, plus I have uh, some notes that I, that I copied that, that I think are really good just to help me uh, walk through this. But um, it's verses 1 through 7. So I'm going to read those, and you are more than welcome to follow along. Beginning chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now that's the, that's the message to Ephesus. Um, just in a, in a general way, um, it seems that uh, these seven churches kind of are linked. Um, and that this message is going to go to all of these churches. All seven will go to all seven churches. This book is written as a letter to all those churches. So everybody gets to see each other's dirty laundry in a sense. I mean, um, they didn't have the ability, you know, I could text Mike one thing and Joe something else, you know, almost at the same time. He wrote it down and said, y'all need to distribute that so everybody can see it. So there's kind of like an open accountability within this. We, we don't know everything that happened as it, as it traveled around. But it also seems that the Apostle John was very familiar with all these churches. Okay? Um, and and let, let me have you tell me, why would John know something about all seven churches? If you were here last week, maybe that would be a help to you if you read chapter 1. But you heard what I said about John last week. What's one possible answer? He was in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus, yes. In, in fact, probably um, uh, he pastored the church in his later life after Paul died. What else? Well, he probably lived through the formation of all these churches. Yeah, exactly. He was an old dude. He was he'd been around. He was one of the, the top apostles. So he would have the information eventually of what had happened, what's going on. So that's just very likely that he knew a little bit about each of these churches. Um, the, the church at Ephesus, um, Paul went in there with Priscilla and Aquila and they stayed for about two or three years. And Paul went on to some other places. And then he came back and he stayed there for two years. And um, that's where in Acts it says that Paul stayed in Ephesus for two years 
in one spot and the gospel was heard by everyone in Asia Minor in two years because of Paul's influence. So, so that's pretty, uh, uh, I'm, I'm hesitating to try to not use the word awesome too much. So that's, that's pretty amazing that that, 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 that that happened because, again, Paul didn't go traveling to do that. He stayed in one spot and his people were coming and going and he was teaching them and they were going out. So the church was really doing, uh, doing a work and um, I, I wrote down some of these notes about Ephesus. Um, some that you need to uh, that you need to understand about Ephesus is it is a very important political city. It's a very important um, uh, commerce city, and it is a very important religious city. Um, it was the foremost city in Asia at the time, um, and it is the most important church in the province for. The reasons I just said, it's probably the mother church to, to most of the other ones. Um, today, if you go to Ephesus, it's about eight miles inland uh, or uh, from the Gulf of Ephesus. Um, and, but it's still in a swampy plain. But the, but the city back then was a harbor town right there on uh, the coast. And it, again, it was the most important seaport in all of Asia Minor right there on, on that coast. So Ephesus was a religious center, but not when, when I say that you think about Christianity. No, it for a false god. Um, it, it, I'm so glad to see uh, our young folks here tonight uh, because uh, maybe, maybe this is stuff some of these adults haven't heard yet. So uh, you, get, you get to learn it at a younger age. Um, and that, and, and here, here's what I'm, I'm going to say. All the false gods you've ever heard about, uh, whether it's in... Uh, like just historically, uh, Rome, Greece, all of that. They're all the same gods. They just get different names. So you will hear about these false gods, but they were there right after the flood. They were there in Babylon, or the Tower of Babel, right after the flood. And they're the same gods, the same ideas. They just keep changing names. So Ephesus had a lot of this kind of religion there. Very mystical, very... Um, uh, uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's a demonic thing. It, it's a false god. Um, but these gods do exist. These are, these are some kind of entity that uh, has revealed themselves and people are worshiping them. Um, their chief religious god is the mother goddess. Satan was trying to imitate what God was going to do with Jesus and Mary being born of a virgin. And all the way back in the Old Testament, um, it, it, with I'm going to say the wrong name just because my brain's tired. So let me not say the name. But all the way back there, it was this mother with the child, and the child becomes this great god or something like that. That is through all of history. There was a false god like that. So that when Jesus came, Satan could go, well, that's nothing. You know, that's nothing. We've had that for years. Satan always imitates what God is trying to do. So when he imitates, realize there is a reality. So what does the Bible say when you run into something you go, well, wait a minute, I've heard of that before. Or that sounds really good, but what, what, what does the Bible say you should do? Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Amen. Man, y'all are on that tonight. Um, exactly. You, you, you have to test the spirits to see uh, if, if it's true or not. This is going to be very true in Ephesus as well. Um, uh, because there are some Christian religious people that are trying to pull the wool over people's eyes as well. 
So the, the, the church in Ephesus, man, they got a two-fold problem. They got fake religion, uh, false religion. I shouldn't say fake. It's false. It's the wrong kind. Uh, but you also have people trying to take advantage of church people. Do you think anybody tries to do that today? Do you, do you think there are guys that carry the same title I do as like a preacher or a pastor that try to hurt people, try to take advantage of people and hurt them by doing that? Right, there's nothing new under the sun. It's very true. And that's why I encourage you when I say something and you don't, you never heard it before or you're not sure about it, look it up. Look it up in Scripture. Make sure. Um, it, it, it's really good to have a study Bible, but I want to warn you, there's one thing about a study Bible you've got to remember. A study Bible is a Bible that's got notes that somebody put in. Uh, John MacArthur might be one. Um, um, oh, what is his name? Great Bible teacher on the radio. I've heard a bunch of names all the time. David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah. I don't know if he has a study Bible or not. Um, I'm thinking about a really old nerd. Yeah, an older guy. Oh, good. Well, he's got one. Okay. So there is one. There's another older guy. Back in the day, there was Charles Stanley. Um, Ryrie Schofield. Schofield is an old one. You had the Schofield. You had the Thompson chain. But here's something you got to know about a study Bible or a commentary. Never confuse the notes with the text. Everything a man wrote, it was a man's idea and opinion about that text. Nobody's 100% right. What's that? That applies to paraphrases, too. Yes, that applies especially to paraphrases. Paraphrases are just trying to say it so we get to the meaning of it, but it's not a literal translation. A literal translation like we use, you can go word by word and define what it means. A paraphrase is you're trying to put it in, in a, a manner of speaking that you're used to so you would know what it's trying to say. Um, and, that's, and that's fine. That's a good thing to read casually. But when you run into something that you go, wow, that's really cool, or I, I don't know, go back to a literal translation of the Bible so you can see what, uh, what is exactly in those notes. So um, I, I told you how Ephesus was founded. Um, the, the, this mother goddess, the Greeks called her Artemis, I just want to read this part to you. And so there was a huge temple there dedicated to this mother goddess. Um, and that We see that in Acts 19, 15, uh, 35. And, uh, and this huge temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. So one of the wonders of the ancient world is right here in Ephesus, and it was her temple. It also became the site of the worship of the Roman goddess, Roma. And, uh, that, and, and that of the Roman emperor. So you had this mother goddess and then the, the young son is supposed to be the emperor of Rome, uh, I suppose. And so in their day, in this place, what did Rome demand of all its citizens? What did they have to say about the emperor? Yeah, he's God. Caesar is Lord. And so in Romans, the book of Romans, catch that, Paul, Rome, Romans, Ephesus. Paul said, Jesus, you call out that Jesus is Lord, the tongue that confesses he is Lord, and you will not confess that Rome or the emperor is Lord. And that's why they would kill many of the Christians. They called them atheists because they wouldn't accept the religion of Rome, which is the worship of false gods. 
And uh, so let me I just make sure I covered a bunch of cool stuff I saw here. Um, and I think, think I did. So they had a lot of superstitious practices and magical arts. They, they were way into to that kind of stuff. Do we, where do we see that kind of thing today? The, 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 the woo stuff. Where? Stanton, somebody said Stanton, you know, that's one of them. I mean, um, it, it, back in the day, it was a really big thing, and I see it coming back a little bit, these TV commercials where you can call it a California psychic. I don't know if they're better in California or something. I don't know what that is. But, uh, but, but uh, you know, uh, I, and by the way, young people especially, I'm joking here. I don't want you to think I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, I just always wanted to call one of them and go, hey, do you know who I am? Well, no, sir. Well, I didn't think so, click. Um, because, uh, you know, they don't know everything, but now they got caller ID, so they can say, well, yes, I do. They can look me up and tell me my social security number, probably. But, um, uh, but they don't know everything, and, and, but they, they can do things to make it look. That's in the Bible. Remember Moses? I think we talked about that last week. He put, God gave him, uh, he told him what to do. He threw down his rod and became a snake. Magician of Egypt, we can do that. Threw down their rods, they became snakes. Then Moses' rod snake ate their rod snakes and then Moses picked it up became a staff again but still uh, again Satan is trying to imitate something like that um, so did you catch and I think I put this in the questions and, and uh, the question's not worded well because I worded it so it messes it up I talked about the patterns in these churches and so I kind of told you that something encouraging something correcting um, but how does Jesus identify himself in each of these church uh, talks? Does anybody know what I'm driving at there? It, it, it comes out of chapter 1, but it, it applies in each church differently. He who holds the seven stars. Right. So in Ephesus, it's he who holds the seven stars in his hand. Now, if you were here last week, what are the seven stars? They're the seven pastors or messengers to the churches. The lampstands are the churches. And, and so Jesus identified each church. Jesus reveals himself out of the description in chapter 1. And it is particular for each church because Ephesus needs somebody to hold on to it. They got a lot of heresy within the church, and I've already been describing the ones outside of uh, the church. And so Jesus uh, comes to them and says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Those are the churches. Those represent the churches. But there's an interesting part here in this chapter, in verse 1, and that is the word hold. It's a different word than in chapter, than in chapter 1. In chapter 2, the word hold here in verse 1 I probably said all those numbers wrong. In chapter 1, he said, I hold the seven messengers in my hand. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, from the one who holds these in his hand and holds the seven golden lamps, they, or walks amongst them. It is a more serious word. It is a more, uh, it is a firmer word. It's not like, oh yeah, I got you. It's, no, I've got you. He is holding us, holding them very, very tightly. So they need to know that. They need to know that that Christ has them and he is, he is there to help them. Um, it's in verse 16 in chapter 1 if you want to look at it. it. It indicates a very firm grasp. 
so they would not be snatched away. In John 10, the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 20, I've been talking really fast, aren't I? Did this last week too. I am so sorry. Um, remember, Jesus said that God had given, given those who would come to him and that they are held in his hand. For all of us, I want you to think about that. That we, we sing a song, Pastor Andy probably helped with the name of it. But it says, I, we are engraved upon his hand. That's out of the Old Testament. There's a verse that says that. Can you imagine that? That, that God engraved on his hand. I mean, that's how secure you are in Christ. That, that he's carved your name in his hand. I mean, I don't know how else to put what engraved means. It's, it's not just the writing. It's like it's written in there. It's scarred in there, if you will. Um, that, that's pretty encouraging that he loves us that much. I, that part of that song... Uh, many times makes me cry when we sing it, to think about in Christ alone. In Christ alone, yeah. Which I'm yeah. Now I hear it. Got it. Um, couldn't hear it there for a second. You're exactly right. We sang it last week. In Christ alone. Was it last week? When we just walking it. I thought we did acapella. So as before the throne of God above. Ah, I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> you know, it might be that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm messing it up now. Gee, Paul, I've never seen one of those You're before. With yeah, I know. Right? It's one of those two, though. Uh, it's a, both of them are modern hymns. They they are in a hymn style, but they're both modern songs. But they both are very good. Um, but but this is encouragement to this church. I got you. You're in this mess of a place. You've got all these Satan worshiping people, even though they don't realize what they're doing. And you've got people inside the church, which is going to be revealed here in a second, that are, that are going to be messing you up. But I got you. And it's more than I just got you. I, got, I really got you. I am squeezing. When, when uh, oh, can I say this in front of the young people, honey? About Savannah, when she was little and I needed help? Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> we, we, had, we had a well, guys, and, and, and it was called a shallow well. It was only about 30 feet down, and there was water in the bottom. It was just groundwater flowed in there. And we eventually got a deep well because we needed it. But... But, the, but it was a concrete pipe about that big around. And the pipe up here broke. And I didn't know what size that pipe was. And I needed to know. And Savannah was seven, eight, nine. And so I took the lid off of that because you put a lid on because, you know, when you guys are little, you fall in those things and you drown. It's not a good deal. So I took the lid off and I said, come here, Savannah. I need your help. Crawl over here by me. I need you to go down there and look at the numbers because the pipe was below where I could see and it came up and out of the pipe and then went underground up into the, into the uh, pump house. And I said, I'll hold you and you read the numbers. And so I held her by her ankles upside down <laughs> and she's looking at the pipe. What numbers, daddy? I said, read them all. I'll know when you get there. So she did. I pulled her out. Now, don't tell your mama. So mama got on to say, Daddy held me upside down in the well. <laughs> so, and Janice said, what if you had dropped her? I said, I would have squeezed her feet off before I would let go. I, that's what I think of when I think, Jesus said, I got you. You're not going anywhere. I'll squeeze you in half before I'll let you go. It is not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to, nobody's going to get you. So, uh, anyway, so look at verse 2 there. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Well, why would that be an encouragement? What's that? It sympathizes with what we're going through. 
Okay? Yeah, that's that's a great thing. He sympathizes with what we're going through. Shows his omniscience, which is also encouraging, especially since he likes us so much. Hey guys, come on in. There's chairs scattered around where people can slide in together and see how we have a seat. So I'm going to make some room for these young people over there. There's four, need four seats. A couple over here too. So, so, so why else would that be an encouragement? To encourage you to keep on keeping on. Exactly. How, how, how does it do that? Let me ask you this. Who's in charge? Don't forget the cardinal rule of revelation. It's all about Jesus. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Jesus. Jesus. And he knows what you're doing. He said, I know, man. I know, I know what's going on. How did he know? Because he suffered just like they had. He'd gone through every temptation we can go through, yet without sin. And he says, I know the work and the toil and your patient endurance. And you cannot bear with those who are evil. Now, what do you think it means by those who are evil? Be careful. Uh, because if you say the wrong answer, I'm going to have to correct you. And I don't want to have to sound like I'm mean. Because I sound like I'm mean when I don't mean to sound like I'm mean. So, so who are these evil people who are evil? I'll tell you. I'll tell you who they're not. They're not the false teachers. Uh, they're not the. They're not the witchcraft people. They're not the demonic people. Those people are fooled and don't know any better. It's the false teachers inside the church. That's who he's talking about. Because listen to what it says. But have tested those who call themselves apostles. These are people inside the church that say, "We're I'm an apostle." And and, and you got to kind of understand what's going on here. This is around 90 AD. What's that? It's not on the question? Okay. Uh, this, is that what clock working? Yes. Okay. This is around 90 AD. How many apostles did Jesus have? How many did he wind up with? 11, right? And so then what happened? They cast lots. They cast lots and, and said, hey, Matthias, you're it. Or Matthias, right? So, so he becomes the 12th apostle according to the apostles. But then some other dude pops up and says, I'm the apostle. And who was, what was his name? Paul. Paul, right. So now we're up to 13, okay? But it doesn't have to be just 12, but Revelation says the 12 apostles. So one of those two guys, God counts as the 12. What, who can tell me what the role of an apostle is? What is the job of the apostle? It would help if you knew the meaning of what an apostle is, but I'm not going to tell you. Testify to the risen Christ that you've seen. Say it again. Testify to the, the eyewitness okay. to the risen Right. The qualification for those 12 apostles were they had to have been with Jesus and seen him with their own eyes. Paul qualified for both. He spent three years in the desert with Jesus himself, teaching him according to his testimony. And he saw the risen Lord when, when he became a Christian because Jesus knocked him down and said, dude, what are you doing? Right? But an apostle's job was to be the beginner or the originator of something. That was the job. Once the church got started, did we now need an apostle? No. So when those apostles died, we didn't need any more to get Christianity started. But we did need people to spread 
Christianity around the world. So what do we call those people? Thank you. Disciples. Christians who are actually disciples. Now I was afraid somebody was going to say missionaries. I'm going to say, nope, not, that's not it. So just to kind of go, what? What do you mean? Don't you call those missionaries? Well, that's what we call them. But the Bible calls them Christians. That's who we're supposed to be, right? So it's all of us. So there were people that were coming up in the New Testament church going, well, I'm an apostle. I'm just as good as Paul at this. You know, I'm just as good as one of those guys. Why? Because they wanted to be kind of a big shot or get glory or whatever. So John's now 90 years old. And he's like, listen, as one of the original 12, in fact, as Jesus' favorite apostle, <laughs> I'm telling you these guys are false. And y'all are doing a good job not to listen to them. Okay, you get it? You, get, you got to remember who John is talking here, even though the Lord's telling him what to say, that these, these men who are evil, because they call themselves apostles are not and are not, and you have found them to be false, because they tested them. They, they, they checked on them. If today you hear me or anybody that claims to be a pastor or preacher or teacher of God's word, the last thing you ever need to do is listen without your Bible open and without a piece of paper take down some notes. We come to church expecting me to preach a message going to change your life forever. And you don't have any way to record it, write it down, take a note on what God said to you. Sometimes, right? I just think, I find that invaluable that I do. I, I mean, I go here, preachers, I get out my notebook, start listening because God's going to tell me. I had that happen. I had a lady visit the church when I was very young and stupid and Early on, and she was from my home church I grew up in. It was the very first church. I wasn't married yet. And I said, Miss Smart, what are you doing here? You know? And uh, as she told me after church, she said, I've been, I've been wondering. I've had some questions in my mind. And God told me to come listen to you, and he'd give you the answers. What? I said, did you get them? She said, yep, sure did. I still don't know what those questions were. She didn't tell me. But she had a piece of paper. She was writing down stuff. I have no clue. I don't even remember what I preached on. But that was just one of the oddest things that ever happened. But I'm just a preacher, okay? And I may, I may misunderstand something or missay something. And, and you need to catch me and come up and say, Pastor, I love you, but hey, you said this. Do you mean to say that? Or why did you say that? Or can we look at that together? Because, because we got to hold each other accountable to truth, right? And you hear one of these guys and you don't have that opportunity. You need to discern whether they are are right or not, and this is the way you discern that. Did it, does it agree with this? If it disagrees with this, we're in trouble. And let, let me, I, I heard somebody say this recently, and it really helped me with this, because we are fond of saying, well, you know, if they disagree with the Bible, then it's wrong. And so when we say it that way, it makes the test, well, we got to listen to what he says first, and then compare it to the Bible. Well, we ought to switch that around. We ought to know what the Bible says. And when he says something that doesn't psych up, go, wait a minute. Hold on. Prove that from Scripture because this Scripture says that. I've got a lot of friends that, that came out of a church that had maybe got some things wrong. I hate to say it that way because I, I want to be very careful. I don't want to be judgmental. And they said they were just reading their Bible and started going, wait a minute. This doesn't add up. It's not what the Bible is saying. And, and so I just encourage you to always go back to the Bible uh, when you're challenged, when you hear someone. And uh, these people in Ephesus, they didn't put up with it. They, they tested them by the truth, and they found them 
uh, to be uh, false. So verse 3, he says, I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Now, I told you what they were enduring, and, and that was all that false teaching, right? And, and what happens when you know what is right, but somebody just keeps coming after you and coming after you and coming after you with something that is wrong? Maybe something you shouldn't do, or, or saying, I don't believe that, or that's wrong. What, what happens to you? Yeah, you grow weary. You get tired of it. Somebody go, fine, fine, fine. Just have it your way. You, you just want to give up because you're tired of hearing it. And here, Jesus is, is complimenting them and says, I know that you're enduring patiently. I know, patiently means to dig in and not give in. He, they're enduring patiently and bearing up for his name's sake and have not grown weary. They're, they're saying, nope, that Jesus is it. That he's right. Yeah, Jesus is Christ. He's the Lord. We believe Him. We're not changing. We're not going to believe all your false gods and your false teachings. And these guys over here, they're false. And by the way, the whole book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's talking about those false apostles. They gave him a really hard time in Corinth as well. But in Ephesus, there was a bunch of them. And, and these people are enduring that. And probably, just in my mind, just having been a pastor a long time, There'd be one guy pop up and he, you know, a bunch of people start believing what he's saying, and then they're going to go, no, 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 this is why that's not right. Here's what Jesus said. We got the witness of Paul, we got Aquila and Priscilla, we got John, whoever's the pastor at that time. And and by the way, after John died, the pastor's name was Onesimus. Read uh, uh, Philemon sometime. Uh, the slave became the pastor. Anyway, and, and, and so these guys are just popping up. And so, man, you wrestle that one down. It's like, okay, is everybody settled? We got it? Yeah. And then this guy pops up. Oh, got another one over here. I got to go over here and fight this guy now. And, and, and it just becomes exhausting after a while, right? And he says, but I know you've been patient enduring, but, oh, there's a but in there. And, ooh, it's not good when there's a but. There's some glorious buts in the Bible, and there's some not so good ones. And this is a not so good one. But I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Uh, King James says you've lost your first love. That, that's how, and we, we, that, that lends to us kind of not uh, quite understanding uh, that phrase that you have, you, you've lost the love you had at first. Um, if, you, if you're a Christian in here, you probably remember, man, when you first became a Christian or when it first became real to you. Maybe you've been religious. I grew up in church. I, I remember when I realized I was lost and needed a Savior. But boy, and I, really, and I was only eight then, but I really remember a revival when I was 14. And I was, I, I was saved. I was a Christian. I, I did everything I needed to do. I confessed Christ openly, all of that. Uh, but at that, at that revival services, you know, special services, it was in a tent at the college my wife went to, actually. Of course, she was only nine then. I was 14, but uh, she didn't live there then. But I was hearing this preacher, and I realized that I had told God, he had called me to preach at eight, and I said, yes, I'll do that. If that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. But I agreed to be a preacher, and that's not what God was asking me. 
God has asked me to give him all of me. That's what he asked of us, right? And so at that revival, I realized, and I said, Lord, I said I would preach for you, but I'm giving you everything. You got it all. Whatever you want, it's yours. Now, I've renewed that time to time in life. You, you, you grow, you learn, you, you have to do that. It's illustrated by a guy who tripped one time in his house and he fell down a flight of stairs. When he hit the bottom, realized his bones weren't broken and he was still breathing and everything was okay, he said, Lord, anything. And God said, I don't want anything, I want everything. That, that's the story in my head that, that echoes and echoes and echoes and echoes. What is too much to give to God? That is yet to be found out. He, he gets it all. These people had left the desire to let God be everything because they're worn out. They've left that first joy because they've been in there fighting these battles in a horrible place. What's the best thing to do when you get tired? Yeah. Where do you go to rest? A bed, yeah. A safe bed, I would say. A safe place. Go somewhere where they can't get to you. Take a break. Lay down. Rest. That, that, what did Jesus tell the disciples? Hey, come apart. Rest a while. Go away and rest. What's that? Go away and rest. That's right. Go away and rest. You, you need a break. I mean, only the devil works without break. That's right, and that's the reason he's the devil. Thank you, John. That is the foot, that's the fitting of that statement. I appreciate that. And be, and the reason, because you're not in charge of keeping the devil at bay. That's God's job. Your job is to fight him where you find him. But every once in a while, you need to take a little break. You need you need some rest. Not quit on God. You just need some time. And that's not the formula he gives here exactly. Here's the formula he gives. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember that first love. And then repent. Because I've stepped away from the God who loves me and holds me in his hand. So I need to repent and return to him and say, you know, I, I just got tired of you. I got tired of, of serving you. Because you've got to call it by name what it is. If you left your first love, that means, is there something else I could be doing? Is there somewhere else I could go? Because I'm really tired of this obedience thing. And he says, so remember and repent. And then what does he say do? And redo. And do the things that you did at first. You take that breath, you go, Lord, you're right. I've left you. I repent of that. I repent of leaving you. I'm coming back. Help me out. And he says, go back and do the things you did at first. Remember from when you fall, repent and do the work you did at first. If not, if you don't do that, I'll come take your lampstand away. I'll shut your church down. It, the doing is not activity the doing is loving him <laughs> here's the way i understand it if god is first in my life that means whatever is second in my life is in competition with god so god is first and second and third and fourth Amen. and fifth and sixth 
Because anything that comes after God in my list of priority is in competition with Him. So, God has to be first in the way I love my wife. God has to be first in the way I love my family. God has to be first in the way I pastor. God has to be first in the way I do anything. Whatever it is. That's what it means to leave your first love. We do it in light of that love. That's what makes it happen. And when you're not doing it that way anymore, it's time to repent and redo what, what you're supposed to do. And he says, well, I'll come and remove the lampstand from its place. That church will shut down unless you repent. He repeats it. The repentance is very, very important. Then look at verse uh, 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. You say, oh boy, who are the Nicolaitans? We don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. It, 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 we just don't know. We can't find them historically. They're not talked about anywhere else except one other church. He mentions them again. It is believed, it, it was one of the, I think the deacons was named Nicolaus, and some people think that he went really wonky and carried some people away, but we have no real evidence of that. So we don't know. It is some belief structure, some guy probably named Nicolaus, probably wasn't that deacon, but it could have been, but I doubt it, personally. And he had this false set of teaching, but boy, this is God speaking. You, uh, yet you hate the works. Notice that he didn't say I hate, you hate the Nicolaitans. He said you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. People say God doesn't hate anybody. Really? That says he does. Well, it says he hates the works of the Nicolaitans. I'll, I'll take that back. He does say he hates the works of the Nicolaitans. And then we come to another pattern of every church. What does he say? Look at verse 7. What do, you, what do you have to have and then what do you have to do? You got to have an ear and you got to what? You got to listen. Right. So he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's in, in verse 7. You cannot hear. And what does it mean to have an ear? Well, didn't they all have ears? Well, as far as we know, I mean, I guess somebody could have lost an ear or something. But so, what does it mean to him that has an ear? Willing to listen. Yeah, it, it's a willingness. It's not a physical ear. Are, will, will you listen to God? Will you? Will you listen to God? What is He saying? He's writing it down for them and saying, "You, you need to listen." This, this is what's going on. And then he says, uh, and somebody said it, and, and they're exactly right, to the one who conquers, and this is also to every church, that same thing, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. <clears throat> Did all of these people conquer? Wait, well, let, let me ask it this way. What does it mean to conquer? Overcome. To overcome. Okay, so today there's been a bunch of football games played. There's going to be some more this, tonight. There'll be one tomorrow night. Um, probably one Thursday night. Professional football players and their teams are playing. Is the team that wins the one that conquers? Not necessarily. They won the game. Yes, they they scored more points. But what if they played a team that could not beat them? But the team that could not beat them played every second of every minute 
for an hour. They never let down, they never gave up, and to the last second, they were scrapping and fighting and going after it. They conquered. They conquered themselves, they conquered their circumstances, they lost the game, but they never gave up. The idea of conquering to all these churches is never giving up because these people are put to death for Christ. We're Americans, man, our idea of conquering is beat the stuffing out of them, right? <laughs> Right? That's, that's our idea of winning, of conquering. But that's not conquering. That's just being bigger and stronger than the other guy. Or more able, or call a lucky break, however you want to say it. But the one who conquers is the one who, we got all this evil, occultic, witchcraft stuff going on. We got a bunch of false teachers. We got wolves in sheep's clothing. We're worn out from it. We're leaving our first love. But we hear you, Lord. We're going to hang in there. We're not giving up. We're not going to quit. And he says, listen to what the Spirit says to the one who conquers is going to eat of the tree of life. Does that mean they're the only ones getting to eat of the tree of life? No, all Christians get to eat of the tree of life, right? But he's pointing out that the, for these people, that condition is to conquer. Later in Revelation, we get a scene of, of martyrs standing before God's Throne. God knows them. He, he knows who they are. And I don't know. I, 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 I can't say what God thinks about that. But in, in, in my thinking, God is just like, you guys are the best. Because <laughs> you didn't quit. You didn't give up. You did not. The Bible says they did not love their life to the death. They would rather die than deny Jesus. And Christ that's what he's calling the Ephesians to do. We start. It's a Christ conquers force that we overcome. Yes. Only because of Christ. Because, because Christ overcame sin and death right. on the cross. And he, so by the blood of the Lamb yeah, and the word right. of their testimony. That's right. yeah, it's because right. of Christ. That, and that's what it says in Revelation. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus conquered, and the word of their testimony. We believe that and we will not let go of it. That is the conqueror. And, and the church at Ephesus was in danger of slipping and losing that. Because they're just worn out. They've been beat up, beat up, beat up, beat up. And they're just, you know, I guess ready, ready to let go a little bit. And he says, hey, whoa, be careful. You've, you've lost the desire to continue it, doing what you were doing. So return, remember, repent, and return to it. Do, it. do what you did at first. So that is the basic ideas out of, out of the church at Ephesus. I don't know if I answered any or all of these questions. My wife's shaking her head. No. Uh, what you got there, sweetie? No, I just, what's the answer to number 13? Yeah. Yeah, the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Who is the Spirit? Because it only says the word Spirit, which is the word breath. Hear what the breath says to the church. That's what I heard. Somebody say it out loud. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe it is the Holy Spirit. It just just wanted to make you think about that. Is it just any spirit, or is it the Holy Spirit? Um, in, in verse... Seven. Seven, thank you. I said number 13. I don't know why I said verse 13. Um, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we assume... 
since he is not specifically named. When, when, the, Holy, when it, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, in the Greek language, it says it this way. The Spirit, I mean the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's like, the Spirit, I mean the Holy One. So, so the Spirit of God, who is deity, is emphasized in, in the language of the New Testament that way. Just Not just any Spirit, I mean the Holy One. Are there other Holy Spirits? Yes. The, the Spirit that Christ puts in us, which is the Holy Spirit, but, but we become holy. And, and there are Holy Spirits that minister for Christ. But there's only one Holy Spirit. And the Spirit that speaks to the church is the Holy Spirit. So we assume, even though it's not, He is not emphasized as the Holy Spirit here, that that is the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to cover that and make sure we caught that. Is, is, are, is there any other questions there? We got we got about eight minutes, and we'll still be done. In the last hour. week, you uh, you kind of talked about this, but uh, in verse one, it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Can you say something about that? Yeah, um, last week, if if especially our, our uh, guys here, um, the the term angel is used in the Bible for an angel, and there are a lot of different kinds of angels, but but it refers to an angel. But it, but it can refer to a pastor because the word angel is the word messenger. It's angelos in Greek. So some people interpret chapter 1 as saying these are the angels of the churches like there's an angel assigned to each church. Um, but most commonly, and where I would come down, is these are the pastors of those churches. That the pastor of your church is the one that God has chosen no matter how he got there to be the messenger to that church and so whatever it is that God's telling him to bring is what God wants brought uh, to that church so um, in each uh, letter it starts off to the angel of the church at so it's to the messenger because that messenger needs to hear what God is telling them through the apostle John and then he needs to bring it to the church so that's kind of the idea there did that answer your question? Do you have another quest part of that question? Joe? Oh. Is that it? Okay. Just thank you. Thank you for helping me clarify that. All right. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Ms. When it talks about their having been patient and not being, um, by this time, there was more persecution in Ephesus. Yes, yes. Timothy had already been martyred in Ephesus. So, yeah. there, it, yeah, the, 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 the pressure there was unbelievable. This is an important city. If a city is important to commerce and politics and warfare, then the devil wants it as bad as God wants it, right? I mean, if you can get a key city, so you got a lot, you know, some town over here that this is kind of a hamlet where some people live may not be as important strategically we don't know but that's a very big possibility but you know man if they get that city they're going to get us all and and so i would think the warfare there especially spiritual warfare and you see that warfare in in this whole thing in ephesus um it it, it would make it a target for evil forces as well um and so it, it, they're holding the line i mean who is responsible in Stanton? I mean, back then they didn't have different kinds of churches, did they? 
So then the question becomes, who's responsible for standing? I know at least one church that is. Ours. Right? I know every church here thinks that way. I'm responsible for getting the gospel to everybody in this city. Now, it would be nice if we could all coordinate that a little bit. But we like to fight too much over stuff that doesn't matter, right? Some of it does matter. Some people are just, you know, we, we have to be careful, like I said. But at the same time, um, by and large, most people, we get, we get the basics. We get the essentials correct. I teach in the new members class, and many of you are, people have been here before I came along. But I have a little thing I, I say in new members class. It's not original with me, but it says, in our essentials, we have unity. In the questionable, we have freedom. In all things, we show love. So the essentials are, this is God's word. I, I think I did this this morning somewhere. In the first service, second service. Well, I, I, I get confused, y'all, I promise. Huh? Second. Second, so some of y'all heard that. Essential is, is this the Bible, the God's word? Yes, it is. Is is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Three in one, one in three. Yes, essential in power, uh, purpose, essence, they are the same, yet they reveal themselves in three persons. Yes, we believe that. Was Jesus born of a virgin? Absolutely. Very crucial. You can't be saved if he wasn't. Um, did he live a perfect life? He sure did. Did he die a death for us and not for himself? Uh-huh. And that is the only way man can be saved, by by saying yes to his death to apply for us, right? Amen. So the only way we can be saved is through Christ. Is he coming back that he died, was buried, and rose again? If he did not rise bodily, then we, are, we have no salvation either. And is he coming back bodily? Absolutely. Acts 1.11. The same way he went up, he's coming back. So we're going to see him. And those are the essentials. Amen. Everything else is sort of, well, we can look at it this way, we can look at it that way, because it's not essential for whether I'm a Christian or not, whether we can fellowship or not. Um, there, there are other things that go along with that that is a pretty much more conservative, but may not be as essential. Um, but those are the very essential essentials. But if you disagree with me, cool, I still love you, and you ought to love me, and we ought to just talk about it, have fun with it, read it, figure it out. Open our hearts and minds to what God says in His Word. Not what I think or you think, but what God says, right? So thank you. That was a, where that question came from. That's very good. All righty. Well, let me pray. And you get them 30 minutes early there, bro. <laughs> uh, Lord God, we do love you. You are awesome, God. Uh, we, we absolutely are lost and, and dead without you. And, and Lord, this church at Ephesus, we, we can't quite put ourselves in their shoes, uh, e even if we understood every detail of what you're saying here. But, but Lord, we kind of get the gist of it, that they, they were going through a rough time. And I, I'm sure in this room, there are plenty of people who go through a rough time. It might be friends at a school, it might be friends in a neighborhood, it might be friends within, uh, friends even here at church uh, that... that uh, that might not even know that they're giving each other a rough time. So Lord, teach us to be merciful and tender and, and uh, loving. Um, help us to love you most and, and, and above all things and in all things, that you are number one, that you're number one in every circumstance of our life, uh, not just number one in a list of things. 
Uh, Lord, we thank you. You never come next. Uh, you are absolute or you're obsolete to our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that we can have absolute commitment to you and we can look at this church and say thank you, Lord, for their endurance, their patience, their hard work and the things that they were enduring. Um, and so, Lord, may we be like them because out of this church in two years, everybody heard the gospel. And uh, that's, that's, that's amazing in and of itself. And so may we be a people that want to see that happen from here as well. In Jesus' name, amen.